Now, if you'll stand with me, I'll read our passage uh, for this week. And uh, I know you're getting a lot of exercise up and down, but it'll be good for you. So uh, Matthew, I mean Luke 14, verse 12. He, Jesus, said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. The Word of God. Please be seated. Now, if you were paying attention to that passage, there's a little bit of a gulp factor. What in the world is Jesus telling me to do here? What does Jesus mean and what does he not mean? Does he mean that when you have a birthday party, a wedding celebration, a bunch of folks over your house, that you cannot invite your family, your friends, your relatives, and your rich neighbors, those four groups. By the way, uh, in the United States, when we think of rich neighbors, the common thought is we picture someone a little bit richer than us, or a fair bit richer than us. But compared to all of the world, certainly compared to all of the people in the world in history, uh, just about all of us would fit that category of the rich, you know, top one or two percentile. If you make over fifty or $60,000 a month, I mean a year, probably don't, not too many of you do that. <laughs> Let's go back to a year. Just stand up. No. <laughs> if you make... Over $50,000 a year, you're probably in this category. So uh, could you be invited? Yesterday, I officiated at a wedding on the campus of Baylor, close friend of ours. That's why we were up there doing something like that on a Saturday, Jen Page. And do you know what Jen did? She's a, a devout follower of Christ, but do you know she invited friends and family and a bunch of folks that made over 50000 a year. She did. Was that okay? What is Jesus saying and what is he not saying to you and me? Let me give you a modern day version of this parable, true story. This was in Boston. A couple were engaged and they were going to have their wedding celebration at, a, at an expensive hotel in downtown Boston. And they went together and made all of the decisions for it and, and had to put up a 50% um, down payment, put up thousands of dollars. Time goes by, weeks go by, and right about the time that the wedding invitations would be arriving at people's houses, the groom gets cold feet and backs out. Some of you may have gone through that trauma. Uh, the wife, uh, not the wife, the uh, fiance, the, the, the bride, uh, had some spirit and she goes and explains to the wedding coordinator at the hotel what's going on. The wedding coordinator had uh, a lot of empathy because that had happened to her. However, hotel policy was you only get 10% back. They had put up 50%. She said, well, another option is you could just throw the banquet anyway, throw the uh, party anyway. And the woman, young woman, the bride, decides to do that. She, at one time in her life, had been on the streets, homeless. 
And she'd gotten back on her feet, and she had a great job, and she'd put money away, and, uh, and she decides that she's going to hold that party and invite people from the rescue missions and the homeless shelters to this expensive hotel for the party. And that's what they do. And so this June party, the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston hosted a party such as it had never seen before. The hostess changed the menu to boneless chicken in honor of the groom. (laughs) There are a few women over there that especially enjoy that. And sent invitations to rescue missions at homeless shelters. The warm summer night, people who were used to peeling half-gnawed pizza off of cardboard dined instead on chicken cordon bleu. Hyatt waiters in tuxedos served hors d'oeuvres to senior citizens propped up with crutches and aluminum walkers. Bag ladies, vagrants, and addicts took one night off from their hard life on the sidewalks outside and instead sipped champagne, ate chocolate wedding cake, and danced to big band melodies late into the night. Modern version of the kind of thing Jesus is talking about. What is Jesus telling you and me here in 2015 about inviting folks over? John Piper says, to this, says about this. He says, danger, repayment ahead. Warning, this repayment may be dangerous to your health. Who on earth would talk like this? Probably somebody whose kingdom is not of this world. Somebody who knows that a thousand years on this earth is like yesterday when it is gone. Somebody who knows that our life is but a mist and appears for a moment and then vanishes away. Somebody who knows that this life, that he who saves his life will lose it later. And he who loses his life now in love will save it later. Somebody who knows that there will be a resurrection unto eternal life of the just to live with God for a million millennia of eons. If indeed he was our God on this earth. Now who would talk like that Jesus would talk like that. No man ever spoke quite like Jesus. And the people who call him Lord ought not to live like other people. Now, is that last statement not true? That the followers of Jesus Christ, we see time and time again in the Bible, in myriad of ways, ought to be different. I mean, If our lives are the same as every non-Christian up and down our streets and at our places of work, something must be wrong. If we've got the same values, the same use of time, the same use of money, the same uh, heart for eternity, uh, we ought to be different. So what is Jesus saying? You mean friends, family, uh, folks who make over $50,000, relatives, we can't even be inviting them? Well, Jesus also said some other things. He said things like this in Matthew 5. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Do you think he means that literally? Do you think if you're struggling with lust and you gouged out your right eye, that would take care of your lust problem? (laughs) Probably not. You could gouge out both eyes and that wouldn't do it. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, deal severely with your sin. Don't be casual about it. It matters to God. Deal severely with it. When Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, does he want you to do that literally? No, that won't solve the problem. Uh, But deal severely with sin. Next week's passage says even, even stronger. It says, 
If you do not hate your mother, father, child, wife, you cannot be my disciple. Really? Does he mean literally hate your family? Well, you remember Jesus spoke about love incessantly. In fact, he said that the greatest commandment is to love God, and the second is like it, love your neighbor. Love them sacrificially. So that doesn't ring true. He is, in fact, saying our love relationship with God should be so great that every other relationship seems like hate by comparison. So in this passage, he says, when you get throw a party, don't invite the people you know and like. Who can pay you back? But invite four groups, he says here, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. In that society, they would all be ostracized. They would survive by begging. They had no social network, social welfare system. They'd be reduced to being on the streets begging for money. Outcasts of society. Invite those folks. Why? Because they cannot pay you back. What's going on? Is Jesus is calling us as his followers to a new kind of love. To a radical kind of love. To a selfless kind of love. The human kind of love goes like this. I will love you if you will love me back. You see that in marriage all the time. Uh, you know, I'll love you, but you better be reciprocating. But it's not just in marriage, it is in life. There is a huge streak in the human heart of self-centeredness when it comes to our interactions with each other. We expect something back. You know, let me go to that church because, uh, you know, maybe there's be some social connections I'd benefit from. You know, let me uh, do something for that person, and at some point or another, they can do something for me. Or maybe I'm going to serve over here and at least get recognized by it. There is a huge streak of self-centeredness that runs right down the human heart. We could call this principle reciprocity. Reciprocity. I want reciprocity. Seldom do we love those who cannot pay us back. That would be called generosity. It's not for what I'm going to get into. It's not about me. It's about that other person. Jesus is not saying don't love your friends and family and folks who make a little bit of money. But he's saying, uh, that's not Christ-like kind of love. Any non-Christian loves that way. But I'm calling you to a higher love. I'm calling you to love without concern how you might get repaid or how you might get recognized or how you might have something in it. But love those who cannot pay you back. Love those who will not pay you back. Uh, Love those without any fault of being paid back. And if you do that, he says in verse 13, he says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and this is what will happen. You will be blessed. God in heaven will put his hand of blessing upon you if you love that way. If throughout your life you consistently love with that kind of radical, Christ-like, selfless, other-centered kind of love. You will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So Jesus is talking about God will bless you, particularly in heaven, at the resurrection of the righteous, at the resurrection of the just. In the next world, there will be blessing and favor. There will be reward. We as Christians, my experience is that we kind of are embarrassed about the whole idea of reward. Jesus was not embarrassed about it. Regularly he taught it. 
You know, don't go praying in public, uh, but pray in private, and your reward in pray, uh, with your father will be in private. You know, there are rewards in the next life. What are those rewards? The Bible never spells it out. There are some hints. I think there's a hint of intimacy, greater intimacy perhaps with the Father. I think there's a hint of, of opportunities to serve and have impact even in heaven. Uh, but we don't know for sure, but there are meaningful rewards in heaven. Now get this, church. We all get into heaven as a gift of grace. We just sang about amazing grace. That doesn't go with me earning it. That's a gift. We all get into heaven that way. But when you get into heaven, many of you will have lived your life for Jesus Christ, and there'll be greater reward. Many of you will have lived your life for yourself. There'll be less reward. Are you going to live your life for the rewards in this life? Recognition, money, stuff, or are you going to live your life for the rewards in all eternity, for the millions of millennia of aeons, as John Piper said. Jesus said, live for that world. Love selflessly in this world. C.S. Lewis was talking about these rewards. He said, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward, the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum and he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday or a vacation at sea. You know, uh, it's one thing for a child to be content with mud pies when he could have a beach at Cancun, but we're adults. We can think through the difference between 70 or 80 years at most, 90 years, and eternity. And we can live for eternity. Time after time, Jesus calls us to it. We serve Jesus because of a bloodstained cross. But there are also the promise of rewards as we give our lives for him, as we're all in. So what does this mean? In everyday relationships, in our neighborhood, in our families, at the workplace, at Walmart, everywhere, we are looking to love people whether or not they can pay us back. Not about, not about us, it's all about them. We give in secret. We, we um, do uh, good deeds if possible in secret. We don't want recognition. Uh, if you um, go with Josh Walker into the jails, only Josh and one or two others are going to know about it. We're not probably going to put your picture up here. Uh, but you're doing it for the kingdom. You're doing it for those, for those dear inmates there. If you're holding a baby in our nursery... So a mom and a dad can have a break and go to church and, and a church can kind of operate. You know, you're doing that for the Lord. And, and, and you're not expecting to pay back, get, get paid back for it. Uh, parenting exemplifies this, doesn't it? Uh, all of you parents, I mean, you're going to spend your whole life giving uh, without uh, expectation of reward. And or expect, expectation of being paid back by that child. And that's the way all of love should be. All of life should be. Certainly, marriage, which is off too often. You know, I'll love you if you love me back. Christ calls you to something higher, something bigger, something better. Other-centered, selfless love. Not to reciprocity. Any pagan does that. But to generosity, where you're truly giving out of love. That's what he calls us to. Radical, Christ in love. What's God saying to you this morning? 
How about forgiveness? That fits right in, doesn't it? They're probably not even going to know about it. But you're going to make a decision before God. God, I'm going to give this debt to you. I'm going to release it to you. And God says, yes, well done. Looking for ways to serve, to love, to give, to forgive, simply for the love of Christ. All right, that's part one. There's a part two. You don't have to stand for this part. He goes on to tell a similar but different story. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said, Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Does that strike you as a lot? And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and lame and blind. And the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So a similar story. Still the banquet motif. Still those same four groups of outcasts. Poor, blind, lame, crippled. But different. Uh, The first story was an actual banquet on earth. Jesus is at that banquet, and he says about inviting folks to parties and banquets, don't just invite your friends, invite those that can't pay you back. But this story of the banquet is not present on earth. It is future in heaven. It is a story of the great uh, marriage feast in heaven where all of God's children are going to be gathered one day. And what does he say? He said that uh, uh, there's going to be a lot of invites of inviting people to the party, including the outcasts, and so many of them are going to have excuses, and they're going to completely miss out on the party. So what is he saying? God is the God of the party. God is the God who invites. God is the God who welcomes. And you see that all through the Scriptures. In fact, we saw it in our uh, uh, three-week study of Luke 15. He is the God who says to broken people like you and I, like you and me, come, come, anybody who will, come home, come home. He offers forgiveness and welcome and grace to any who will come. Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come, come. By the way, that's the offer, that's the invite he extends to every one of us. Have you responded to the offer, to the invite? Uh, The Spirit of God is calling. Most of us have said yes. Some of you may have not. Some of you may have just sort of ignored it by throwing in a little bit of church. Uh, When Gail and I were in our 20s, we were living in Oregon. We were dating. And one February morning, I asked her if she'd go with us, go to the coast of Oregon. The coast of Oregon is beautiful. I had a certain place over there that I wanted us to go to that's often on beautiful calendars of Oregon. It's a, a lighthouse there by the beautiful coast. And 
I couldn't find it, so we're driving up and down the coast. Yeah, I was wondering, you know, what's going on? You're trying to look for this thing. Finally, we find it. We walk out. I, I find a couple of logs there, suggested she sit down. I drop to my knee. She realized what's going on. I pour my heart out to her, my undying love and affection. Ask her to marry me. She says, well, let me check my calendar. <laughs> but she does go on and say yes. Now, now, just what if on a marriage invite, a wedding proposal, uh, the spouse, I mean, the, the, the person didn't give a clear response. They kind of ignored it and, you know, start talking about next week or something like that. I mean, that just wouldn't work. The God who made you, the God of the universe has said, come to the great wedding feast in heaven. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden. Don't ignore him. Don't kind of drift along. Say yes. This is your God who invites all of us freely forgiven into the kingdom. Now, this is the way God is. He's inviting God. Tony Campolo is a speaker, sociology professor in Philadelphia. He tells a great story, another modern-day version, sort of. He's visiting in Hawaii on vacation. He's on East Coast time. At 3 a.m. the next morning, he wakes up, ready to go. Some of you have uh, been there. He uh, goes down the street, finds a diner that's open, a donut shop at 3 a.m., orders donuts. Six or seven prostitutes are in there. They had finished their work. He uh, hears one of them, by the name of Agnes, say to the others, tomorrow's my birthday, and I've never had a birthday cake. I have never had a birthday party. And they kind of give her a hard time about that, and they eventually leave. Tony Campolo stays in there till they leave, goes up to the man behind the diner who clearly knew them, his name was Harry, and said, Harry, tomorrow night, we've got to throw a birthday party for Agnes. Harry likes the idea. He says, okay, we'll do it. I'll cook the cake. Uh, my wife will invite other prostitutes who are friends of Agnes's, and you go get the decorations. So the next day, he goes to the store, gets crepe paper, gets cardboard, writes happy birthday signs. Uh, at 2.30 the next morning, he shows up at the donut shop. Uh, Harry and his wife had cooked this cake. By 3 o'clock, the place was full of prostitutes. He said the place was wall-to-wall prostitutes and me. And by 3.15, Agnes walks in, and she was overwhelmed. We screamed happy birthday, had banners everywhere, saying happy birthday to her. And she just, her knees buckled, her mouth dropped open, eyes misted. Harry brings her the birthday cake with the candles. She begins crying. He tries to get her to blow out the candles, keeps saying to her, but she's stunned in silence. She says, Agnes, blow out the candles, or I'm going to blow them out. Finally, he blows them out. Then, then and he says, you know, cut the cake, Agnes. Go ahead and cut the cake. We're hungry for cake. She's too stunned. She said, I don't want to cut it. Can I, can I just take it home? I just lived a couple of doors down. Can I just take it home? Sure, Agnes, take your cake home. So she leaves. The guest of honor leaves the birthday party for a few minutes. Uh, they're full. They're just waiting there in the sun silence. Tony Campolo decides, well, let's just pray. So he begins praying. And prays for Agnes, that God would bless her and that she would know his goodness and that God would save her. And he prays. At the end of that prayer, Harry's a little bit irritated with him. He said, hey, man, you didn't tell me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you go to? And Tony Campolo had this flash of insight. And he said, I go to the kind of church that holds birthday parties for prostitutes at 3 a.m. Harry said, no, you don't. (laughs) Those churches don't exist 
If they did, I would go to such a church. Wouldn't you? Jesus is the kind of God who holds birthday parties for prostitutes at three years. In fact, he's heavily criticized for it. And he says to the prostitutes and to all of us, broken each one, come, come. There is grace here. There is amazing grace here. There is un, unending love here and forgiveness. Come, come on in. This is not for folks who are religious types who've got to earn their way, but folks who recognize they need the grace of God, who humble themselves and say yes. Now, the story of the banquet, a few other details. You remember that uh, he sends out his servant to invite everybody. Everybody's got excuses, lame excuses. Do you remember the excuses? First guy said, um, um, not on that page. First guy said, um, you know, I have bought a piece of land and uh, I need to go look at it. So please excuse me. Does that strike you as odd? Don't you normally look at the land before you buy it? Kind of an excuse, isn't it? Wimpy excuse. Next guy, you know, I bought five oxen, five yoke of oxen, and I got to go look at them. Probably you look at those guys before you buy them. Just excuses. And, and, um, And you know, there are so many folks who are so preoccupied by the everyday affairs of life that they have no time for God. And Jesus says, you know, go out to the blind, the poor, the crippled, the, 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 the lame, and just bring them in, invite them in. Uh, there's a sense of urgency in that invite. Quickly go out, quickly go out. And, and there should be a sense of urgency for us. Now, God's still inviting to the banquet. He's inviting through you. I mean, you're his representative in that neighborhood, on that street. Maybe there's two or three, but you're one of them. And at that workplace, you're his representative. I mean, he's inviting those folks through you. Love them. Love them. Uh, Be alert to the spirit and opportunities, kind of like Impala was there. You're top five. There's urgency. Uh, This is a short sliver of time. Eternity is coming ahead. Invite them. Invite them. And when you're invited, say yes. Don't ignore it. Now, so many had lame excuses. There's an interesting passage a couple of chapters later. Luke 17, 26. This is what Jesus says. He says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. Talking about the future days of the coming of Christ. They were eating and drinking. They were marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planning and building. But on that day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. What's he saying? He's saying, okay, this is what was going on at the time of Noah. This is what was going on at the time of Lot. And this is what's going on at the time of today. And we'll be when the time of the Son of Man. People were just engaged in everyday affairs and had no time for God. He wasn't a priority for them. They weren't doing bad things. They were doing good things. They were buying. They were selling. They were marrying. They were getting married. Uh, they were eating. They were drinking. Those aren't bad things. But you can become so preoccupied with your work, with your house, with your car, with your stuff, and completely miss God or have very little time for God. He is not a priority to you. One of the passages read 
Matthew 6.33 by one of our parents. Seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his right. Why seek him first? Because he is first. He is first. And he must be first in your life. Do you know the, what the first of the Ten Commandments says? Have no other gods before me. Is he first? Or is he second or third or fourth or way down the line? Here are a few ways to tell. It's, it's really a matter of the heart, but uh, uh, here are some signs. Does God get the first day of your week? Do you come and worship week after week? If you're not sick, you're in town, this is just what you reflexively do. You're here, so way to go. Uh, does he get the first hour of the day? Maybe not the whole hour, but first 20, 30 minutes. And uh, that you meet with him, pray, read his word, first part of your day. Does he get the first 10% of your income? I mean, do you put your money where your mouth is, or does this just really talk? Uh, if he's first, first day of the week, first hour of the day, first 10% of your, of your income. And there are many other signs. It's a matter of the heart. Is he a priority in your life? Or are you just caught up with eating and drinking, buying and selling, giving and being given in marriage? Here's the challenge that Jesus calls us. Um, Jesus, God, must be the priority of your life. He must be first. First passage, we saw love with a radical love the way Christ has loved us. The second part, the main challenge, is that, uh, is that we make Jesus Christ first priority in our life. We are all in for him. And behind both is the amazing grace of God in Jesus Christ. Friends, what is God speaking to your heart about today in either of these areas? Is Christ first? What needs to change? Do you love radically? Who is God putting in your heart to love radically like this? Stand with me. I want to ask you just to pray silently and ask God, Lord, what are you saying to me about this? What are you calling me to do about this? Lord, I know that uh, I could love better radically. I need your grace. I need your help. And Lord, I want to be caught up with serving you and not just the things of the world around me. Lord, give me Give us the sense to live for the next world, not for this world.